uh, going to really share with you, just stick kind of out of my heart, and really to share share with you some things that are probably going to be uh, just as re- more relevant, really, for the rest of the semester than they are for this session this morning. And I'm going to really take you into uh, my personal life in the area of my own prayer life uh, to share with you a couple of things uh, that uh, have become really a part of my lifestyle. And so I want to share them with you. The title of the message is uh, A Nonstop 24-7 Prayer Life. And my text is very simply the First uh, Thessalonians 5.17 which has been quoted a number of times already. It says, pray continually. New International Version, New Living Translation, never stop praying. Tried to do some research on the Greek word, Dr. Ramon, for this uh, word, never stop praying, that phrase. Uh, And try as I might, I really couldn't come up with anything much deeper than the reality that is saying, never stop praying. And I recognize that if you look at the scripture, that uh, prayer is always two things. As a matter of fact, I was looking uh, at a book the other day on the uh, popular uh, library called The Phenomenology of Prayer. And it uh, talked about these two aspects, that prayer is private uh, and prayer is social or corporate. And the, uh, the reality of those two things is that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, it's very difficult to, to decipher, you know, which is which. And, of course, uh, uh, the article that I was reading, reading was saying you almost have to kind of decide one or the other. I don't think that that's true. Uh, I think that uh, the uh, 24-7 prayer has been modeled beautifully and uh, was mentioned last night uh, by... Uh, uh, Brother Alex, uh, you know, the Heronhood community uh, that started the prayer meeting that lasted for 100 years, uh, the uh, uh, Kansas City prayer meeting, uh, you know, the International House of Prayer. Uh, we heard from Jason Hershey uh, last week during our week of prayer and the 24-7 thing that he was doing in Washington. Uh, and it's wonderful when that happens corporately. But I really want to apply this personally today. Because I think that when Paul is saying that, he's not only saying, uh, I want the church you know, to be somehow involved in 24-7 prayer, but I think that he's speaking to individual believers and saying he wants us involved. Never stop praying. Pray without ceasing. To kind of illustrate what I think Paul is saying, it's kind of interesting in 44 years of ministry, I've never used this illustration only once, and it was the tail end of the story, and it was with my, uh, my sophomores last year, marriage and family, uh, that I shared this. Uh, I'm not going to share the same part of the story. I'm going to share the beginning of the story. Uh, but anyway, it really kind of illustrates to me what Paul is saying when he says, never stop praying, pray without ceasing goes back to uh, 1963, 1964. You remember those years well, I'm sure. And it was uh, my freshman year uh, in high school, uh, and uh, I decided to, uh, to go out and uh, 
tryout for the, uh, the basketball team. Uh, I attended a large suburban uh, school in Rochester, a suburb called Fairport. Um, and uh, they always had a great basketball team. Actually, the year before I was on the team, uh, almost all the seniors uh, and juniors, uh, one junior had not decided not to go out, the seniors had graduated. Uh, and uh, the team that year, uh, we, we always always put together a pretty good team, but uh, uh, there used to be a thing back in those days called newspapers. And in Rochester, uh, they actually had one that was delivered in the morning and one in the evening. And the papers would always, when basketball season started, uh, give a review of how they felt the local teams were going to do. And, of course, we were in the league with uh, playing uh, teams like Pittsburgh and Webster and uh, you know, so occasionally even some of the inner city schools like East High School, uh, yeah, and that was uh, you know, our schedule. And so we, uh, the, that year, particular year in the paper, uh, the review said that uh, the uh, Fairport team was, uh, I think we had about an 18-game, it was an 18-game uh, season. They said uh, we were scheduled to win maybe three games, maybe four. It was a very, very unflattering review. I wasn't going to go out for the team, but I had practiced all summer long with a friend one-on-one. We had played a lot of one-on-one ball, and uh, you know he beat me about 80% of the time. Uh, but uh, to, uh, to beat him even two times out of ten, I had to develop a few different things. He was a very good dribbler. He worked with me. Uh, I only was able to move to my right when I started with him. He, sh- he worked with me on dribbling with my left hand, and eventually I could move. Uh, both ways to the basket. Uh, and so he came and he said, hey, the tryouts, you, know, you, you need to try out. And I said, no, nah, I, I would never make that team in a million years. He said, no, come on, come on, try out. And so I did. And that was last I even thought of it. A couple of days later, he said, uh, hey, our first practice is coming up. And I said, what are you talking about, our first practice? He said, uh, they posted the, uh, the team. He said, you, you, you made it. So not only did you make it, you're one of the starting five. I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, no, no. It was a new coach. And so we, get, we got together with the coach for the first meeting. Uh, he sat us down, you know, on the bleachers there. And we uh, he had a whiteboard that was covered with a, a cloth. We didn't know what was underneath it. And then he had the team manager come out. There was 10 of us on the team. And handed out a, a present to each of us. It was wrapped. And he said, you'll open that a, a little bit later. It was kind of a small box, but, you know, we took it. And then he, uh, he read the review in the paper that said uh, Fairport was only going to win three games you know, that season. And uh, he said, uh, uh, yeah, I want to tell you uh, that that's not going to be the case. He said, so before I uncover this, uh, this board, he said, I want you to open your present. And we, we opened it up, and it was a jump rope. Well, everybody's name was actually uh, engraved on the handle. And he said, uh, you were going to run suicides on this basketball court, and then you were going to jump rope, and then you're going to run more suicides, and then you're going to do push-ups. And then you're going to do suicides, and then you're going to do sit-ups, and then you're going to do more jump ropes. And he said, if we lose, 
We are we we the only way that we're going to lose is is because we're out uh, you know outskilled. Well, we'll never be outconditioned. And so we're holding the rope, and then he pulled back the uh, thing on the board, and it had a simple phrase that became our model for the whole year. And if we have that uh, slide, you can put it up there, Brother Gabriel. Uh, and the philosophy for my coach, he said, in every game, in every way, give all I've got on every play. And then he proceeded to begin to teach on each of those phrases. We didn't realize that while we were getting the lecture, he had had the school maintenance department. They put a big plaque in the hallway where uh, you actually uh, came out in a home game uh, you know, to uh, enter into the gym. And uh, everybody had to hit that you know, on the way out. Uh, you know, in every game, in every way, all I've got on every play. One of the things that he broke down, you know, he would teach every, every practice, he'd pull out some piece. One of the pieces that he pulled out in the phrase, in every way. Uh, he says that there's going to be a, a, you know, no abusive taunting when you're playing the game. He didn't use the term trash talk. As far as I know, that wasn't uh, used until maybe the 1970s. I think Muhammad Ali was the first one that I heard use that term trash talk. But he said, if there's ever any abusive taunting, uh, you know, from my, you know, from my team when you're on the floor, uh, you were going to be on the bench. And in those days, there weren't comfortable chairs for the players to sit in. You actually sat on a pine bench. We used to call it riding the pine. He said, if you use abusive talk when you're on the court, you'll be riding the pine. But then he began to say what he meant by uh, give all I've got in every play. And what he instilled in us, he said, uh, if you've just scored a basket, I want you to go on defense. And I want you to go on defense and play that particular play like you stopping them at that point from scoring is going to determine the outcome of the game. When you're on offense, you know, I want you to, you know, to run the plays that we practiced in such a way that if, if, we didn't, if we didn't score on this play, we're going to lose the game. He said, every single play, I never want a mental letdown. I never want you to relax. I always want you to be going after it. If I see that you're slacking out, you're going to ride the pine. You're going to give all you've got on every play. And I think that that's what Paul is challenging us with uh, in the, uh, the, the phrase, pray without ceasing. He's, uh, he's saying to us, uh, you know, every single day, you, you've got to give it everything that you've got. And the talk about praying without ceasing, I've uh, I've listed a verse here that's always been a special verse for me because it comes out of the uh, very first Christian book that I ever read. As you know, uh, those of you who have been in my classes in high school, uh, I'm embarrassed to say how much of a heathen I was. I wasn't raised in a Christian family. I didn't live a Christian lifestyle. Uh, uh, you know, by the way, uh, uh, the, the end of the story, as the uh, sophomores know, is that we were 18-0 and 0 that season. And we went to the, uh, 
uh, this, we ended up in the state quarterfinals and uh, uh, got our butts kicked really bad with a team from Buffalo. Uh, but uh, anyway, that was a, it was a, it was an incredible year. It wasn't supposed to happen, but it was our coach that instilled that philosophy. And this uh, first book that I ever read uh, in my uh, uh, in my Christian walk, I was an avid leader reader all through high school. I, I devoured philosophy. I devoured. I loved history. I I, I, I read books and books. I, I loved to read, uh, but I had never read a Christian book. And now as a Christian. And the first book I read, after I, I looked it up on the on Amazon, I was amazed to see that it's still in print. It was a book simply called Prayer by O. Halsby. And the first chapter, he defined prayer by using this verse, Revelation 3.20. He said, here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And he gave that as the definition for prayer. And I've paraphrased his definition a little at the bottom in your notes. But I define prayer, and I really drew it right from O'Hallsby. It became uh, a mantra for me. Prayer is the process of developing a continuous love relationship and communion with Jesus. Every single day, he stands at the door, and he knocks. If you hear his voice, which indicates that while he's knocking, he's speaking. If you hear his voice and open the door, he will come in, and he will have relationship and fellowship with you all day long. And you will find yourself praying continuously out of that love relationship. And I'm going to illustrate this this morning, and please no groans from the upperclassmen. I'm going to illustrate this kind of love relationship by talking about comparing my love relationship with Jesus with my love relationship in the marriage you say, oh, come on, you know, give us a break, Brother Stacy. We've had marriage and family already. Uh, well, you know, t- you know, take it up with the Lord. When you, talk about, uh, when you talk about relationship with God, you're basically focused on two areas. You're either relating to him as a loving father, or you're relating to uh, Yahweh as a loving father, or you're relating to Jesus as your heavenly bridegroom. He's coming back for a bride. Uh, And that's why I want to talk about it in this way. So we pray without ceasing by living out the answer to the following questions. And the question is this, or the following question. The question is, what nurtures a love relationship? How can I pray without ceasing? Another way of asking the question is, what nurtures my love relationship with Jesus? And the first thing in your notes is what nurtures a love relationship is awareness of the other person. Being aware of the other person. Psalm 73 says, But as for me, how good it is for me to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. 
to be near God. Really, uh, that kind of understanding and walking in that kind of love relationship uh, is, is really something I learned in my marriage. Uh, I learned to become very aware of my wife's presence. If we got out of the car and we were going into a store, you know, I wasn't racing ahead of her. You know, I was aware of her presence. We did a seminar one time. It was really kind of funny. Uh, they wanted to do an icebreaker. It was a pretty good-sized seminar. Maybe uh, I think there was maybe like uh, 80 couples for this one. And uh, the, uh, before the, I did my first session, they wanted to do this icebreaker. So they called up uh, you know, seven random guys you know, out of the uh, audience and myself. And then they sat us in a chair, and they, uh, they blindfolded us. And then uh, one by one, and they started at the, uh, the end. I was like the last one. And the, uh, the, the, the little icebreaker was, uh, we want you to describe exactly how your wife is dressed right now. And, of course, the, the goal was uh, by the time you, you know, they knew that most of the guys aren't going to have any clue, you know. Uh, but they thought it would be kind of cool to have the seminar teacher, you know, kind of stumbling around with that, and, you know, that would make a you know, real relatability. Uh, well, anyway, they, they picked the wrong seminar teacher for me. So it was, it was true. Seven guys, you know, they didn't, you know this one guy said, I'm not sure whether she has shorts on or slacks. You know, it, just, it, it, was, it was really kind of sad. And then they got to me, and they, and they said, uh, and of course, when you, you had your back to the audience, and you were blindfolded, and, uh, and they would have the wife stand. And so now my Connie is standing behind me. They said, uh, what, is, what is your wife wearing? And I says, well, I got to start with the shoes, because uh, she has a closet full of them, a shoe for every outfit and every shade and every color. And I said, but they're blue today. They've got a little uh, gold buckle on them. And I said, the reason the shoes are blue today is I, then I t- described her, her skirt. And I said, it's kind of picking up the blue highlights. I described the pattern in the shirt or the skirt. And I, I talked about her blouse. And I said, uh, uh, actually, her makeup is so perfectly applied. There's no sense talking about that. Talked about the part in her hair, how she did her hair. Uh, described in detail the bracelet that she had on her, uh, her, uh, her right hand, and she wore different bracelets. She had about eight or nine different watches. I, do, I said what watch she had on because it matched. Then I told her what the earrings were that she had on. And then I stopped. You know, of course, at that point, the, the, the audience is getting very, very quiet, and some are laughing. And I said, uh, how much farther do you want me to go with this? And I said, yes, that, that's enough. <laughs> we believe you. You know, you know what your wife has on. But the, that kind of awareness has to be developed in our relationship with Jesus. And I've had to look at some days in my life where I realize, you know what? I've gone through the whole day. When I woke up this morning, I didn't say, good morning, Jesus. You know, I... Uh, might have breathed a quick prayer on my way out the door, but was doing the things that I was called to do, kind of relying on my own preparation, relying on my own ability, 
you know, having lunch, you know, talking with a student, doing this, doing that, and, and getting to the evening and realizing, you know what? Yeah, you know, I haven't even thought about the precious Lord Jesus in my life today. All day long, he's been standing there and he's been knocking. He's been knocking. And sometimes I would say, Jesus, I, I wish you would kick the door down. You know, p- p- please don't let me go through a day like that. You know, kick the door in. But you know what? Jesus doesn't force himself on us. He's a gentleman. And he stands at the door and he knocks. And he said, if you want to open the door, I'm going to come in. I'm going to have a relationship with you. I'm going to be in a love relationship with you all day where you're going to find yourself praying without ceasing in everything that you do before every activity that you're involved in. You're going to find the day becoming a whole day of worship because worship isn't just what happens you know, in a service when we have the wonderful worship team up on the platform. You know, worship is, is the, the way that I, I, I sit in my class and uh, give myself to my instructor in that situation. You know, the way I give myself to my work detail. You know, it's, it's the whole expression of our life. And it can only be worship if we're aware of his presence. But if we're aware of his presence, it can become powerful. Uh, it can become a love relationship that brings us in to that giving it every day in every way with all I've got. Pray without ceasing. The second uh, thing that nurtures a love relationship is honestly sharing our heart. Psalm 34 was the verse I listed because I'm going to share another little slice out of my Christmas break. Uh, Not to create sympathy, but because it's going to become a a very important point about taking you in uh, to my own personal prayer life in just a minute. But the verse in Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Now, he's with us when we're flying high, when we're having a great day, when uh, if a you know, 10 is a super day and we're moving at a 10 or 11, he's with us. He, we need to be aware of his presence, and it's very easy to be aware of his presence in those times. But there's other times when we're hurting. I came out the student center the other day, met a group of the upperclassmen. I hadn't seen them for a while. Remember, Leah was the one that asked me the question. And But uh, there was others there, you know, Juwan and Lydia and uh, uh, some others were standing there. Maybe Michael, you might have been a part of that group too. But uh, Leah just looked right at me and she said, did you have a good Christmas day? And I said, okay, now I got a choice to make here, you know, my mind going. I can either say, uh, yeah, it was okay, which would have been like uh, half a lie. Or I could have said, uh, said, oh, it it was great, which would have been a complete lie. Or I could tell the truth. And because it was a group of people that I already knew and I loved, I said, uh, I'm going to tell the truth. And so I said, uh, it was the worst Christmas that I ever had. 
Everybody kind of looks sad, you know. Leah says, oh, you know. Lydia says, oh. You were there, weren't you, Lee? Yeah. But I wasn't saying it to get, get, gain sympathy. I just was being honest. And I said, let me tell you why it was that way. Uh, I said, I sunk into a deep depression missing my wife as it got closer and closer to Christmas. I began to think of all the traditions she used to do, the way she would decorate our house, just, uh, you know, the way her presence, you know, filled the house and uh, made Christmas so meaningful for all of her family. And I just started to miss her. And I went down into a a pit. Uh, I discovered that my daughter, who I would have... uh, spent Christmas with, uh, had to do a triple shift at the hospital that she works at. She worked Christmas Eve, she worked Christmas Day, she worked uh, the day after Christmas. Time and a half, double time, time and a half again. They let her go into a little room for, uh, to take naps occasionally, but she was there for three days. I had, th- I had invitations. I had actually a number of invitations my good friend, uh, friends, Chris and Carol Ball, wanted to have me there for dinner, uh, you know, to be with them for the whole day. Uh, the pastor from Lima Baptist Church, who I'm close with, he and his wife, as a matter of fact, his wife uh, was roommates with my daughter when she was here uh, you know, as a student at EBI. Uh, he came up, the, one, the, the pastor of Lima Baptist. He says, my wife told me, you know, yeah, I've, I've got to drag you out of this house if I have to. But I said, I don't want to rain on anybody else's parade. I said, uh, no to all the invitations. And so on Christmas Day, I sat there on the couch, and I uh, had my little black and white kitty that was sitting on the arm of the couch next to me. And I sat there, in some ways, I had the worst Christmas of my life. Uh, I had a, some pictures of my wife in front of me. And, but even in that moment, I became very aware of his presence. And I began to feel even the comfort of the Lord by his presence being there. And I was reminded of this scripture, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. My cat was sitting there on the left, but my Lord Jesus was sitting there on my right. And he had his arms around me. And he said, I'm close to you, Stacy. I've got you in my arms. You're in love relationship with me. And I shared that again, not... To, to elicit sympathy, I don't want to elicit sympathy from anybody. I've lived a, I've lived a life that would be envied by any man, and I wouldn't trade my life for any other life, by in, in the life of any other man that I know. Uh, but I want to share that with you because we come to this point, and I'll refer back to it in a moment. Because number three is you have to cultivate. Two important elements of a love relationship. How do you nurture a love relationship that gives you the uh, energy to give it everything you've got on every play to pray without ceasing? 
Number three, you have to cultivate two important elements of a love relationship. And the first is the spontaneous. And the second is the systematic. The spontaneous and the systematic. Spontaneous in a love relationship is there were days, I always think of it, uh, I used to stand right about here uh, when we had the lo- a much larger student body. There were times that uh, in my marriage and family class, uh, a couple times I had like a 170 freshmen. And, you know, I would say, and so we had it in the tabernacle. And I would have the class at 8 o'clock. And my wife worked, uh, you know, even before this student center was built, she worked, uh, you know, for almost 30 years in uh, uh, the dean's office running our department. And she would always come in around 9. And so I would be teaching, and I would see her go by on the on the, the driveway out there, headed up to the office. Sometimes I was so overcome when I looked at her that I just had to stop. And I said, I'm sorry, guys, there goes my wife. I'm so crazy about that girl. She looks so beautiful this morning. I can't wait to go up to the office to see her after this class, you know. And, of course, all the girls say, aw, and the, you know, the guys say, give me a break, you know, and that kind of thing. But anyway, uh, yeah, there's those times, you know, when I would, I would just see her, and there's just the spontaneous overflow in my heart. I, I would have to walk over to her. I'd have to put my arms around her. I'd have to say, hey, baby, I, lo- I, lo- I love you so much. I'm so crazy about you. I've got to tell you that. But there were other days, you know, when you get preoccupied and when you're under a lot of stress and you got problems that are going on, maybe personal problems, maybe problems in the school. Yeah, I've been on staff since 1974. I've seen a few problems in the school over the years. I can guarantee you that. And because I've been in leadership, at times they have weighed on me so heavily uh, that it's that I've had trouble sleeping at night. And so in those situations, sometimes, you know, you my wife would go by me in the morning, and I, I didn't feel that spontaneous, uh, you know, oh, I've got to grab you and tell you how much I love you. But the reality is, if the only time you express love is when it feels spontaneous, uh, in the end, your love relationship will dry up. Uh, if all you do is express it systematically and you never have the spontaneous, it becomes rigid rigid and legalistic. You've got to have them both. And in our relationship with the Lord, you know, that's what weeks like this are. They're spontaneous expressions. You know, what happened last night, it, it, it was so spontaneous. As Sister D said, it was so beautiful. Your response was so beautiful. You know, I had my hands up first, and I'm, you know, I'm closer to 80, you know, but, uh, you know, my hands, you know, hands were up, uh, you know, saying, you know, Lord, you know, I, I, I'm willing, you know, do what you want. You, you brought me back here for, uh, uh, you know, from this cancer, you know, I want to be your man. I want to, I want to be what you want me to be on this campus. It's spontaneous. We were all there last night, but next week is coming, and the week after that, and then when exams start to hit, 
And then when the, the pressure of papers start to hit, and you realize you've got to have a book done and uh, uh, for a, a book review, and it's uh, you know 200 pages, and you've only read 15 pages so far. You, know, you start to feel that kind of pressure. You know, uh, at that point, you're not going to feel this spontaneous overflow of love towards Jesus. There's going to be times when it is that way, but it's got to be systematic. And I want to share with you a little thing. I mean, I might have not have a job after I share this. Uh, something that I've uh, never shared ever publicly. I've shared with a couple of students who've been in my apartment, uh, but uh, I've never shared it. Uh, I've never shared it publicly. I think I shared it with Mark uh, uh, Winheld, but uh, and maybe one other person that's been in my apartment. But anyway, I'm going to show you how. The systematic works for me. And I'm going to show you what actually I did on that Christmas day when I was feeling so down. Because the reality is that I feel that God has brought me into this element of how to pray without ceasing. Those of you who have been in my class, you know, I always ask for three areas of respect from you. Uh, and then I always promise three areas of respect that I'm going to give back to you. And the third thing I always say to you is what? Upperclassmen, tell me. I promise to do what? To pray for you. I promise that in front of every class that I teach. I promise to pray for you. Now I'm going to show you how that works for me. I'm going to show you how even on that day when I was feeling down, uh, when I was feeling depressed, Many of you in this room got prayed for, even on that day. It's always been interesting to me because I have these displayed. There's two on display in my office, three in my home. No one's ever asked about them. Students have looked at them a little bit wondering. It's a Catholic rosary. And you'll say, okay, now this is really getting weird. But uh, my systematic, this is how it goes. I mean, there's days when, you know, I'm just so spontaneously in love with the Lord. You know, I'm I'm just praying, and it's just coming out of me. But there's other days uh, where, you know, I don't really feel like praying. And sometimes, God help me, I don't even feel like praying for you. But uh, you know what? I promised that I would. So what I do is I take this rosary, and the rosaries uh, are very systematic, I have different colored ones, uh, but they're set up very, very systematically. It begins with the cross. Jesus on the cross, which freaks some people out. But uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to you know, give you some formula here. I'm not going to say, you know, like, uh, I'm praying, you know, you know, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us, sinner, now in the hours of our death. That's not what I'm talking about. I begin systematic prayer by holding this in my hand. And I begin to say, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the cross. I did that on Christmas Day. I said, uh, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for what that love means. And then I spontaneously begin to respond to the cross. And then I move up to the next bead, which is always there, a single bead on the rosary. It's a case of flower. And I say, thank you, because of the cross, you've brought me to the Father. And then I pray the Lord's Prayer. 
not by rote. I began by saying, my father, you are in heaven, holy be your name. And I'll pause and I'll say, Lord, today, uh, may the holiness of your name be demonstrated through my life. When I pray, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then I make it personal. I say today, Lord, may uh, your will be done in my life. I go through the whole, you know, give this to stay my daily bread. Forgive me, uh, forgive me my debts and uh, my sins uh, as I have forgiven the ones who have sinned against me and hurt me. You know, work through the Lord's Prayer. Then on a rosary, the next three beads, uh, you know, I have uh, made them represent. I say, because Lord Jesus is at the cross, I'm in relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then I pause in my prayer and I begin to say, uh, thank you, Father, for all that you mean to me. I begin to focus on Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you mean to me. And then begin, begin to be aware of the Holy Spirit who actually lives inside my body. And, and recognizing, you know, he's, he's praying for me right now, according to Romans 8. And so I work through that dimension. And then I come to one more single flower. And that's where I begin to pray for my family and some very special people that have come in to my inner circle. And I begin to pray, and I say, you know, Lord, I, I pray for my daughter. I'm thinking of her right now, putting in these hours at this hospital. Pray for her, think about her, prayed for my girl, Donna Virginia, prayed for my grandchildren. Uh, you know, pray for, uh, you know, that uh, uh, part of the inner circle of some people that have become very close to me. And then you always come to a medallion, depending on what the rosary is. Uh, it depends on the uh, picture. You know, sometimes it's a saint. But when I hold this, this is where I begin to pray for you. This represents the student body for me uh, and also the staff. Uh, I have a list uh, of staff, my, my colleagues you know, in my, in my living room, uh, right there in my coffee uh, table, the drawer, you know, I have a list of the staff, and I have rosters on my students. And I begin to pray for you. Uh, when I promise to pray for you, I'm telling you right now, I did not break that promise. I did not break that promise with any senior. I didn't break it with any sophomore. And I haven't broken it with any freshman. And I pray for them. And then, for the rest of the rosary, you've got uh, just double beads. And at that point, spontaneously, see, I began to single out different staff members. They hold in, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll pray for Dr. A and for Sister D. Uh, how often I do that uh, because of the uh, pressure that they are under. You know, the point leaders on this campus you know, they see all the bills, they see all the problems, you know, uh, I'm a part of their council, but, uh, uh, you know, they, you know, they carry the weight. I pray for them, and then I'll, uh, you know, I'll, uh, you know, think of a, a couple of other people, and, 
you know, he, I'll think of one or two of you, and you know, and I work, and sometimes I'll I'll work my way uh, down through the whole thing before I'm done. Uh, and that's how I maintain the systematic. Sometimes it's spontaneous, sometimes it's systematic. But if you don't have both, you're not going to be able to pray without ceasing. If you only pray when you feel that spontaneous overflow of love, your relationship with Jesus Jesus, will dry up and wither up and blow away. Fourth, spending time alone. Matthew 14, after sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray, and night fell when he was there alone. We want to be always surrounded with people. We want to be surrounded with activity. We want to have Netflix on. We want to be playing a video game. We want to be on our phone. Now, you know, I'm on my phone a lot. You know, I watch Netflix. You know, I've got a television. I watch a basketball game. Uh, you know, I watch a football game. You know, I enjoyed uh, being down there so much the other night with the uh, little group you know, that was male and female downstairs in the tab. I relieved Dr. A at 8.30 after I was with the freshman and was uh, with him till the end there. Sorry, Dr. A about Baltimore. But uh, as a matter of fact, you know, I, I maybe have to apologize. Jonah, where are you? I have to apologize to you, brother, because uh, Jonah said to me, uh, hey, when, the, when the Super Bowl comes in the half, you know, you know, we always do something else during the halftime because we're never going to know whether we have another repeat of Janet Jackson. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Jonah said, wouldn't it be great like to just get a group together and we'll just worship during halftime in the Super Bowl? And I said, he said, doesn't that sound like a good, like good, something good? I said, it doesn't sound so good to me. <laughs> you know, there's a time to watch the Super Bowl and there's a time to worship in, in, in different ways. You know, uh, at that point, I want to worship by giving myself the Super Bowl. But anyway, uh, if we do that, you know, I'm down with it. But uh, forgive me, Joe, and I wasn't trying to jump on your case when you said that. But, yeah, that's good, yeah. But anyway, uh, alone, I can understand that love relationship, you know, why we were, we were always, you know, we loved to be with our family, our girls, uh, but there were times during the year that we had built into our schedule where we got away for a weekend. And when I went away for a weekend, you know, my wife, you know, was the focus of, you know, every single thought, every single, you know, moment. You know, I didn't take my Bible I didn't take a book to read. You know, she was the book that I was going to read. I wanted to be alone with her for a couple of days. Well, that's the way it has to be with the Lord Jesus as well. You have to have that private time. It's wonderful to pray like this. But coming out of a time like this, it's really intended to, to be able to uh, cause you to be able to have those times where it's just you and the Holy Spirit moving through you and Jesus is there and the presence of the Lord is there. Yeah, I know it's, it's hard to find an alone place on this campus, uh, but uh, you need to find that. You need to find your prayer closet because that's part of what nurtures the love relationship and is the fulfillment of this pray without ceasing. Thomas Merton, the quote I think that I uh, gave in your uh, 
your, your notes here, solitude is a way to defend the spirit against the murderous din of materialism. Uh, Thomas Merton has a lot of quotes on solitude, and really, as I've read him, uh, yeah, he's one that's really helped me in this area of alone time with God. And then lastly, number five, learning to listen. Learning to listen. Isaiah 50 in verse 4 says it this way, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. We used to have a, a phrase here that we used a lot when I came as a student. Of course, on the back there, you have uh, I've got a couple of pictures of Jesus. One to remind you of the fact that he prays for you. The other to remind you that he stands at the door and he knocks. And the fact that he's a black Jesus uh, is an indication that uh, my protest against all the white pictures of Jesus that we see. Yeah, Jesus, he probably didn't have dreads, but, uh, you know, uh, that's probably a closer picture to the real Jesus of the ones that we have on the back of your program there. But the listening, you notice what, what Isaiah said? His ear is awakened so that now he has a word to sustain the weary. Uh, in your alone time, in your listening time, is when the Lord will speak to you in such a way, not only where he ministers to you, and activates your love relationship with him. But he will speak a word to you now that you have to be able to impart to somebody else. Uh, one of the things I'm always praying, uh, there's hardly a day that goes by that I don't have, uh, you, know, you know, some student in my office having lunch with some student, uh, people wanting to be with me. I'm, I'm so humbled by that. It blows my mind that uh, any of you guys would want to be with a 71-year-old man, uh, but a lot of you do, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm humbled by that. And the rea- But the reality is I know that sometimes you're going to ask me some questions, and I have to have some time alone with the Lord where I'm listening and I'm saying, Lord, uh, give me something uh, for this person. I, I know I'm going to be having lunch with this person today. Uh, can you, maybe they're weary. Can you give me a word that will sustain them in their weariness? Can you give me a word that will encourage them? Can you give me a word that would be special for them? Uh, so out of the, the alone time and the listening time, uh, not only is your spirit activated towards him, but your spirit is now activated towards others. And that's really what it's all about. Interestingly enough, the uh, next phrase after pray without ceasing is, in everything, give thanks. And of course, I always like to compare that with a verse in Ephesians, which says, for everything, give thanks. And the way that I give thanks for everything is I give thanks in everything. The way I give thanks in everything is by giving thanks 
for everything. It's interchangeable. In other words, when I stood at the casket looking at my my daughter, my 25-year-old daughter, who uh, in my mind at that point, you know, should have been standing with me, you know, looking at me, you know, I shouldn't have been looking at her with my firstborn baby granddaughter in her arms. But as I looked at that, I didn't say, oh, you know, you know thank you, Lord, for, you know, for taking her what seems to me to be prematurely. I'm so, I'm so thankful that she died, Lord. I just want to stop and worship, you know, thanking you for her death. No. But in everything, I could give thanks. I could look at her and say, you know what? When that girl died, there was nothing between us and her mom. We were like this together. I could look and say, you know what? I'm looking at her body right now, but she's rejoicing with you, Jesus, in heaven. I can be thankful for that. I can be thankful that, uh, you know, this life is not the end for me. I'm going up there. I'm going to see her again. Uh, I'm going to be with my loved ones. Uh, this, is not, this is not the end. So even in those kind of situations, you can give thanks in them. Uh, and by doing that, you're giving thanks for them. Other times you can say directly, yeah, I thank you for this. Uh, you know, you open the, uh, your mailbox and there's an unexpected uh, financial blessing. You know, thank you for that. Uh, but it works both ways. It cuts both ways. But the thanksgiving and the gratitude flows out of the pray without ceasing. And so if we could put up the uh, that second slide now, Gabriel, which we uh, will kind of close with. The philosophy of my coach was in every game, in every way, give all I've got on every play. And we won 18 games with that philosophy. We set it as a mantra at the beginning of every practice. I felt like a Hindu. You know, he, he would have us repeat it like 40 times before practice even started. But the philosophy of my Lord is with deep gratitude in every way. Pray with all my heart on every day. And continuous prayer can only flow from a heart of gratitude and passion in our relationship with the Lord. And so I bring us back at the conclusion uh, to uh, where we started. Again, uh, I just wanted to share very personally with you this morning. These are these really are some very personal things uh, that uh, uh, I've never shared publicly. I never brought my rosary, <laughs> you know, to a, a message that I was speaking. Uh, but I wanted you to see, you know, how it works for me uh, and what's become a reality for me. I'm not saying you go out and buy a rosary. Although somebody said to me one time, you got to write a book, uh, you know, like the uh, uh, the Catholic or the Pentecostal rosary or something like that. But uh, you could make a million dollars. I, I doubt that very much. Uh, but anyway, I'm not suggesting that anybody go out and buy a rosary. But what I am suggesting is you find a way to be systematic in your relationship with the Lord. And so we come back to the uh, place where we began, and that is he stands at the door and he knocks. He's knocking right now. If you hear his voice, 
you'll come in. That really is an amazing blessing to realize that uh, he's not going to deceive you. He's not going to defraud you. If he's knocking, he'll come in. He's not going to be the kind of Lord that knocks. And then you open the door and says, well, I just wanted to let you know. Uh, I'm not going to walk into your life knowing that sin that you're struggling with. I'm not going to walk into your life, you know, knowing some of the thoughts that you had last night as you were laying in your bed. And I'm not going to come into your life knowing that. No, he will always walk in and embrace us and help us and love us. The word is very, very personal there. Have fellowship, relationship, sharing a meal. Uh, In uh, uh, Eastern culture, to break bread with somebody, it almost becomes sacred. If you break bread with somebody, you you will never, ever betray them. Uh, What Pastor Phil said yesterday uh, afternoon about the uh, you know, his assistant pastor, Onas, uh, and, and, and his wife, Bet. he said, that man has never hurt me. Uh, well, that, that, that's the mark of friendship, and Jesus is breaking bread. And, and what that is saying, Jesus is saying, I will never, ever hurt you. I will never use my power to injure you. Uh, I'm not going to break down the door of your life. You've got to let me in. But if you let me in, we can develop a prayer without ceasing, a continuous love relationship that will activate your life in this area for the rest of your life. And so I'm going to pray, and we really uh, aren't going to have time now for you to reflect on this, but hopefully in the next session after the break, you'll be able to reflect a little bit more on it. But again, what I said to you at the beginning was, uh, I'm not really sharing this, you know, for this particular day. Uh, I really was kind of trying to share something with you for the rest of your life. Well, Father, we come to you, and Lord Jesus, we want to say this morning that we hear you knocking. I personally, Lord, ask your forgiveness for those times when I even... I've I've heard you knocking, and I knew you were there. But I said, no, I'm too busy today. I got other things I want to do today. Forgive me, Lord, for those times. Forgive me for those times when I've been so busy that I didn't even hear the knock. Sensitize our ears to hear the knock every day. Bring us into that kind of love relationship that models the kind of marriage that you will have with your church throughout all eternity. Lord, we want to nurture that love relationship here and now. And Lord, I remember how the uh, motivation of my coach uh, I remember that before games, he would he would talk to us in the uh, 
uh, back before we came out of the little tunnel into the gym. And uh, by the time he got done talking, I was I was ready to run through a brick wall to please that man. The Lord Jesus, you know, this isn't that coach. You are the Lord of our lives. We want to let you in. We want to let you speak that challenge to us in the way that I fought every single basketball game on that season, the way I fought every single play to play like it was the last play of the game. Uh, Teach us to live our lives like that every day, to recognize that we will never have another opportunity like this. Some of us will have a week of prayer next, next year, but, but there will never be another week of prayer like this, right here, right now. We open up the door. We say, come in, Lord. Continue to have fellowship with us and relationship with us. But Lord, what I pray right now for these students that I love, uh, and I, I, I know that it, somehow, in your grace, you, you, you've helped me to, to be able to communicate to them the reality of how much I really do love them. I, I doubt that there's a student here that doesn't believe that. And so out of that love relationship, I pray that some of these words that I've spoken today will enter into their spirit in a way that will influence the rest of their lives. These weeks, Lord, really are like training wheels on a bike. When my daughters were first shifting from tricycles to bikes, and we had the training wheels on, and uh, I'd be running alongside the bike, and they'd be saying, "Daddy, I'm, you know, I'm riding all by myself," you know, and I'm thinking, "Yeah, honey, you're, you're saying, yeah, you are," and I'm thinking, but of course, the, the training wheels are on, and Daddy's right here to catch the bike. But there came a time when I would take my tools and I took the training wheels off. And then they went out and they rode the bike on their own. And I had to watch them as they, as they rode down the sidewalk, saying, Lord, if they fall now, protect them. I can't catch them. They're 100 feet away from me now. They're 100 yards away from me now. But the training wheels helped them develop the discipline. They kept them moving and kept them upright. And I pray that some of these principles that I shared today uh, will be like those training wheels that eventually will come off in such a way where my friends will be able to pray without ceasing in a continuous love relationship with their Lord in such a way that they will move upright in victory throughout the whole of their lives. I pray your blessing on my dear friends now, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, have a good break. Get over there, get something to eat. And we'll see you back here at 1030. God bless you.